This is what I want you to understand. You've got to acknowledge the reality and your humanity. You cannot deny either one of those. And I want you to know people expect you to not have a humanity and they want you to glide above the reality. But there is a reality around you and sometimes God is just going to let you be. It doesn't change the outcome. The outcome is there already because God has got destiny and purpose over your life. That's why no matter how dark this is, don't give up. Don't give up.
we thank you that you are the Alpha and the Omega. God, we thank you that you see the end from the beginning. God, this, today we are so grateful that you are outside time and space. God, we are so grateful that you are above everything. Every season, every circumstance, you are the God above it all. God, today we say nothing is wasted. God, we thank you that you are in it and you are working us through it. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You can find your seat. High five someone or air high five someone on the way down. That's the way we roll now. Worship team, thank you. That was phenomenal. Church Online, we want to welcome you. Thank you for joining us today from wherever you have found yourself watching all over this great country. We are so glad you are here from Florida, from South Carolina, North Carolina, all the way from California. Hello, the Sunshine State. Is that Florida or California? Who cares? Welcome. We are so glad that you are joining us today from Manhattan. It is great to see you today. We are so glad that you are making the Father's House home everywhere you are. Those of you who are watching and you belong to a campus but you have not come back yet because of the pandemic, hey, we are with you, heart and soul. We are glad that we are still creating a space for you to be able to watch and enjoy church right where you are at outside if you are watching from outside it's getting almost too cold to do that but stay strong because it might as well be summer here in rochester if it is above 40 degrees so welcome we are so glad again that you are joining us creating space for everyone to be able to enjoy church and in the room welcome to the chai Lai campus hello it is so great to be back in the building Listen, if this is your first time here, you picked a great Sunday to come to church today. We'd love to connect with you. As Carrie and Tabby said in the uh, welcome, we have a welcome lounge. We'd love to be able to connect with you, let you know everything you need to know about joining the Father's House. We're so glad that you are here. And listen, if you missed First Wednesday, uh, was that last week? You No, it was like two weeks ago. First Wednesday was off the charts. Uh, we had a crew during service. I don't know how they do it. Uh, they painted. You saw the video. They painted like it was probably a 25-foot canvas. Uh, paint the whole thing. It's in the lobby right now. You can look at it. That is the painting that this series is based on. We're talking about seasons of the soul because in case you haven't noticed, it isn't always peaches and cream. Hello. It's not always uh, the most fun. Uh, but in our family right now, by the way, I am Josh. I get the privilege of leading this campus with my awesome and amazing wife who is over here with my three kids. Now, we had a kid three and a half weeks ago. So, yeah, her name is Jordan, and uh, she is, uh, she's, she's a great baby. Three kids, though. I don't know whose idea that was, but we're here. So here we go. Uh, but yeah, welcome to church. We're starting a new series, so this is going to be fun, all right? You strapped in. We don't have seatbelts, but strap yourself in theoretically. Uh, so listen, uh, everybody is searching for balance, right? I mean, balance is like this thing. You can go to yoga to try to find balance. Uh, I can't do yoga because my body doesn't move like that. But if you do, more power to you. Uh, but everybody is searching for balance. Some people call it Zen. I'm just trying to find my Zen place. I'm just trying to get centered. I'm just trying to find rest. I just, I just want to be balanced. And that is slightly difficult. It's actually, so it actually reminds me, I think when I was 18, uh, I got a job at a restaurant. Now, I love food. I do not like working in restaurants. I don't know why I decided this would be a good idea. Never worked at a restaurant before in my life. 
lived in Rochester still at the time then, and there was a restaurant. This was before the food scene in Rochester like exploded to what it is today. So it was only a couple like really good restaurants, okay? One of them was Phillips European, which is still open and has the best desserts, right? So if you're not from Rochester, come visit for the desserts. It's great. Um, so I go and I interview at Phillips and they're like, yeah, we'll hire you. I was like, listen, I have zero restaurant experience. They're like, it's fine. You seem like a quick learner. I wasn't. And uh, so they hired me to cut the desserts. They're like, you're going to be the dessert guy. I did not realize how popular these desserts were. So uh, first day I'm there, it was like a Friday night. There was just a show in Rochester. It's packed. So I'm like trying to cut this. I'm not moving fast enough, or then I'm moving too fast. It was impossible, to be honest with you, to do this. And so one day I dropped a cake, literally. Like if you know the cakes there, you don't drop them. I dropped it though on my lap and then I just took it and threw it back into the case and shut it. No one saw it. It was awesome. So, yeah, whatever. I'm not proud of it, but I did it. And, then, uh, and so then they realized that, like, you're not good at this. So let's, let's have you bus tables, okay? Now, if I've ever opened a restaurant, I will only do bucket busing of tables. Uh, so they don't at Phillips. They do the trays. I've never held a tray before in my life. And so they're like, you got to hold it above your head. I was like, okay. So like I put my hand like this. This is clearly not how you do it, but it's how I did it. And uh, I'm walking by one time and one of the guys who's been there for a long time, he's like, dude, that tray is owning you. I was like, I'm quite aware. Uh, and so then I get back to the kitchen and I, like put it down. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm going to die at this job. Like that was not easy. And then they have me shadowing this guy who's been there far too long. Like you, he shouldn't be working in the restaurant still as a server, but he is. He's like a lifelong employee, and he's awesome. He's like one of those guys who's like so overachieving, it's annoying. And like he is just, the, the dishwasher doesn't show up. And the server, this guy, is doing the dishes in between tables. I was like, you need to calm down. Like, it's not that important. And so uh, I watch him one day. He's so good. He's got the fingertip grab on the tray. And he like goes to the kitchen. He kicks the door. And I was like, this is, that's a perfect idea. You kick it, swings open, you walk in. No problem. Now, at Phillips, if you don't know this, they dress real nice. If you work there, you got to dress like to the nines. They give you a tie and like you're nice. And so I was like, I'm going to try it. So I get the tray. Now I'm bussing tables. So it's full of just dirty stuff. And like there's wine glasses and there's water glasses that people aren't touching. So it's just full of liquid. And I go and I'm trying to balance it. I kick the door, everything immediately. Not even like, it wasn't like a teeter, like, oh, it's dramatic. No, it was like shock and awe. Like I kicked the door everywhere, like wine glasses, uh, water glasses, everything is shattering. I think more glasses shattered than were actually on the tray. It was like one of those moments. It was like, how bad can it get? And uh, I just booked. I just ran to the front. Like, I didn't know what to do. So I think the owner, honestly, I think the owner of the restaurant's like cleaning up my mess. It was, it was awesome. They called me like that Wednesday. And they were like, listen, I think we're holding you back from finding another job. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. So I, I guess that's getting fired. It felt good, though, to get fired from that job. Um, but I couldn't balance the tray. And I've, I'm wondering, like, how often are we trying to balance life like I'm trying to balance a restaurant tray? Like 9 a.m., your feet hit the floor, and you, like, you get the, like, you're, you get up the nerve, and you're like, we're going to make it today. We're going to do it. 9 p.m. rolls around, you get back to your room, and it's like, you're like, oh, my gosh. How are we going to survive another day? I can't balance all this stuff. Wake up the next morning and you're like, all right, here we go one more time. Let's try to do this. You realize that balance is actually impossible. Like in this life, we were not designed to find balance. Everything about even nature is completely Imbalanced. If you don't believe me, if you are not from Rochester, but you just moved here, come to the Chi Lai campus about mid-January. 
The wind's going to be whipping at about 40 miles an hour, and it's going to be sub-zero temperatures just blasting you in the face on your way to church. Like, there's nothing balanced about winter. Nothing. It's like, it's actually pretty dark, gloomy time of the year. We have Christmas. Try to up it, up it a little bit, but that doesn't last. By February, it's all slush. It's disgusting. It's cold. We're done. That's not balanced. August rolls around. We love June. If we could just live June, like the month of June and September, if we just had that, like, ping-ponging, we'd be great. June hits, great. August hits, it's like a car that you can't get out of, and the sun is just blazing, and it's horrible. It is not balanced. There is, when it comes to seasons, it's not balanced. Now, there's a rhythm to seasons. I mean, we can clock it. We're pretty good at it. We've got to narrow down to a day that winter's going to start. Like, we, there's a rhythm to the season, but they're not balanced. In your own life, your soul has seasons. There are seasons in your life where life is going to be awesome. Like, it is just great. I mean, you're getting the job promotion. You're, in fact, right now in this room, there are probably some people, the pandemic benefited your career. And you're probably thinking, I don't even like to talk about it because I feel bad. Like, I don't know what, like, I'm still getting paid. Like, I'm, I'm, I've actually got promoted. Like, you're thinking to yourself, like, this can't get better. My wife and I, we're not even fighting. Like, we always fight. And for some reason in this season, we're together all the time, and it's awesome. And you're, and you're thinking, like, it can't get better. Well, here's a newsflash. Seasons don't last forever. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but they come and they go. Now, on the flip side, you might be in the room right now, and it has been a war for about six to nine months. It is like you can't seem to escape the bad news. It's like it's tracking you down, and you cannot get it to stop. Like you've gotten sick, or someone in your family's gotten sick. You lost your job. You've been furloughed. The, the unemployment thing is a little rickety right now, and you don't know what you're going to do. Like it is a horrible season. That's a reality. The good news is seasons don't last forever. Now, they might last longer than you want them to, but they do not last forever. Seasons come and seasons go. Now, the mistake that we often make is that a season comes and we actually make our home in the season. We set up permanent residence in the season that we found ourselves in. Either life will never get better than it currently is, or life is never going to get worse than it currently is. The problem when we make our home and our permanent residence in a season, we actually become the victim to the circumstances around us. When we make our home in the season, all of a sudden I'm a victim to my circumstances. I fail to see God's provision or guidance in the season that I, I am in. The danger is when you make your home there, now you are either, I am either the direct result of my success or the direct result of my failure. And that may not be the case. Seasons are going to come by external circumstances that are completely out of your control. If you haven't noticed, there's nothing you can do to control a season coming or to make a season go. So balance should not be the pursuit because you and I are going to live very lopsided lives. When as it comes to seasons, we will always be lopsided human beings. We just will be. And that can be good news because some of you are in a season right now where it's not okay. And we are here to tell you that it is okay to not be okay. We're lopsided. We are lopsided human beings. Now, what seasons do is they tend to give us a false sense of security in our successes or they give us a false sense of failure in our failures. Like this is the problem with seasons. They make our ideal future either be way better than it actually is or way worse than it actually is. 
Now, speaking of ideal future, the Bible actually talks about your ideal future. Usually when the Bible talks about it, it's a dream. Now, uh, Joseph had a dream. Abraham had dreams. Joshua had dreams. Like, oh, you can read through it. Everybody in the Bible, everybody's dreaming. It's, it's like, it's so encouraging. It's ridiculous. Everybody's got a dream. Everybody's got an ideal future. My question is, you, you probably do as well. When is the last time you tested your ideal future? Because it's interesting to me, for me, my dreams usually center around some skill that I have. It's a skill-oriented dream. I want to I build a successful business. It's probably a noble pursuit. Or I want to get a bigger house. Again, probably, that's probably a fine pursuit. I want to gain wealth and status. Again, probably nothing necessarily wrong with that. But with every pursuit that you have, there is a level of sacrifice associated to it. So the question is, like, what are you sacrificing by your pursuits? So you can acquire the business, but if you estranged your family in the process. You get the bigger house, but if you burn bridges with all your friends, and now there's nobody even to enjoy the big house with. You acquire wealth and status, but now you've grown cold towards God. So your pursuits are going to cost you something. It's impossible to live in pursuit of something without sacrificing something else. Okay, so let's take this a step further. All right. What happens when the very thing you've been chasing gets ripped away from you? What happens when that skill that you've been forming and shaping actually gets ripped away from you? The business you've been building gets ripped away from you. Where do you even turn at that point? I'll never forget when I was in, I went to Bible school, just, just so you know, I went to Bible school. At Bible school, everybody's, everybody's generally a Christian, okay? And so everything's about church. Everything's church, 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 church. So in my mind, as an 18-year-old person, I was like, I can communicate and I can public speak. I will do that for the rest of my life. I will never not. I'm always going to be preaching. In fact, that's all I need to do. Just let me preach, and I'm going to make a lot of money, go to a book deal. It's going to be awesome. I'll travel the world. I'll pastor a big church. I'll be famous. It's going to be awesome. Like, like, and it's weird. If, you don't, if you're not in Bible school, what I just said is totally bizarre. But for me, it was everything, all I could have wanted. I got my first job out of Bible school, and I'm thinking I'm the boss. I'll go and preach. I was preaching like five times a week. I'm thinking this is it. I look, look at Esther. I'm like, call the New York Times. We're about to hit it. Like, I've made it. I have arrived. Like, I have, I've, I've built my entire life around a skill. And we all do it. And then I went about two years with barely touching a microphone. Talk about an existential crisis. What do you even do when the very thing you've been framing your life around gets ripped away from you? What do you start to question when the, when the, when the skill you have you've tried to build your life around is gone, when the business is just no more, when the job isn't really there anymore, when the relationship actually ends? Like, like you actually realize, I realized in that season, I am more valuable to the kingdom of God than my ability to communicate. And what you need to know, like here's the deal for you, is that you are more valuable to the kingdom of God than just your current set of skills. You're more valuable than the, to the kingdom of God than just your current set of skills. The depth of what you actually offer has less to do with what you can produce with your skills and has more to do with how your soul is making an impact on people. We are living lopsided lives, and maybe God is calling us to actually live gloriously lopsided lives. Gloriously lopsided. Because the pursuit may change season to season. Like what you're pursuing might change season to season, but you can actually find a rhythm in the madness. You can actually find a rhythm 
to the madness called life. So when we live gloriously lopsided lives, what we're actually doing is making our home in the rhythm of pursuing Jesus. When we live gloriously lopsided, what we're saying is, listen, this whole thing could change. Stuff could get taken from me. I could be removed from things. My life doesn't always need to add up. Or I could be living on cloud nine and everything could be going splendidly. But what will never change is relentlessly pursuing Jesus. It's a gloriously lopsided life. And what's interesting is Jesus understood this. He knew it. What we're about to read is one of the final passages or one of the final uh, conversations that Jesus and his disciples have. Uh, it's at dinner, it's late at night, a few hours from this moment that we're about to read, Jesus is going to die on a cross and then go to heaven and everything is going to be turned upside down for these 12 guys. And Jesus leaves them with basically these eight verses. Now, when you read them on surface level, they can get kind of confusing because Jesus always talks in word pictures. I don't know if he was trying to confuse his disciples, but it worked most of the time. But here's what he said in John chapter 15, 1 through 8. He says, I'm the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So it'll be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. and must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. That's encouraging. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, again, this is their last dinner. This is like, this is it. After this, they don't get any more of these conversations, okay? What Jesus knows and the disciples haven't quite figured out yet is everything is about to change. Everything about their next few years of living is going to scream, you need to run for the hills. Every one of these guys is actually going to die a fairly horrible death on account of the fact that they know and believe in Jesus. Like, it is not going to go well. They are about to enter a winter season that is going to rob life. Jesus knows this, and what he's saying to them is, you need to remain in me. You need to anchor your life to me. So Jesus is explaining these things. He's basically saying the world is about to shut you out completely. The world is going to cause you to want to isolate. The world is going to want to cause you to run for the hills. It's going to want to cause you to be alone. I'm inviting you in. I believe he's saying the same thing to us today. In a world that is consistently trying to individualize us, in a world that's consistently trying to isolate us, in a world that's consistently trying to push you out, what Jesus is saying, I want to invite you in. I want to create a home for you that is unlike anything you've ever experienced. I want to be a safe place for you, a place that you can trust and a place that you can hold on to. Jesus is still inviting you in. The gloriously lopsided life understands this, that no matter what happens, we are invited in. Now, when we talk about rhythms and seasons, there's a few like what I like to call rhythm realities that we have to live by. These things come straight from this passage, uh, and so there's, there's three of them. The first one is that God is a really good gardener. I am not. You need to understand that. Like, God is actually a really good gardener. You and I, not so great. 
Uh, I'm actually, like, literally a horrible gardener. If you give me a plant, it will die, I can promise you. Like, ten times out of ten, the plant is going to die if my hands are on it, okay? It started in, like, fourth grade when in school they'd give you the cup of dirt activity. This was so stupid. They would give you a cup of dirt, and, like, they were like, okay, you just put the hole in the dirt, you put the seed in, cover it, water it, put it by the sun, it's going to grow. So I'm thinking, easy money. So I do it, put it by the window, come in, like, next day, next two days, there's people, they've got roots forming, you can see them, they're budding. I'm looking at mine, it's like nothing has changed. Like, I don't know what happened. So I just take a bunch of water and you like drown it and you probably ruin it. And like that reality has never left me, okay? And so like we have like, we have like shrubbery at our house that just looks like abysmal. We, uh, we plant, because we really want a green, th- green thumb. My wife and I were really like, we don't like people who are good at this. So we like, plant, my wife planted a strawberry bush, okay? I don't even know if it's called a strawberry bush, but we planted it. And uh, we got one strawberry, okay? And you would have thought that we had won the Mega Millions. The whole family's out looking at it. We're like, it's a strawberry. We're basically inviting the neighbors over. We get a knife out. We're like cutting it in four pieces. And like, we're enjoying it. We're just horrible at it. Like, if you were to come to my house right now, you wouldn't be able to tell the weeds from the plants, okay? It's just how it rolls. Weeds grow fast. So uh, anyway, I'm not a good gardener. But when it comes to life, none of us are. Like, we actually aren't good at having control of what comes in and what goes out. We actually aren't good at having control of cutting the things that we need to cut out and keeping the things we need to keep. We're actually not good at seeing the end from the beginning. We're not good at it. But you want to know who is? God is. He's actually a really good gardener. And he's calling the shots. This is what's interesting, is that we serve a God, we sing it. He knows the end from the beginning. Like, he's outside time and space. So if you found yourself in a season that's uncomfortable right now, you should take solace in the fact that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. This is why the writer wrote that there might be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And in fact, what they're basically saying is, I don't totally understand how it all works, but here's what I do know. God is in control. The God that holds the world in the palm of his hand. He knows every hair on your head. He is a great gardener. The problem is we love to pick up gardening shears. We love it. And the moment you pick up gardening shears is the moment you'll start comparing yourself to everyone else. Why are they so good at that? Why can't I paint like that? My God, if they would have had me up here that Wednesday painting, it would not have been good. Why can't I do that? Why can't I have that job? Why can't I have that house? Why can't I drive that car? How come they're making that kind of money? Why can't I find someone to date? We consistently start comparing. And the moment we start comparing, we stop seeing how God might be working us through a season. You were never meant to fake it until you make it. I love this. You weren't meant to. You weren't meant to fake it till you make it. It's, again, it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes God will allow you to go through a tough season. The richest testimonies come from people who have lived through a winter. Your richest stories are going to come from people who have held on during a tough season. God is a great gardener. You and I are not. Second reality is that Jesus is the better vine. You have to ask yourself the question, what are you holding on to? 
Now, I am not a, a water sports guy. You're learning a lot about me today. I can't garden, I can't work in restaurants, and I hate the water, okay? So now that we're all clear, uh, I don't go near the ocean because of sharks, and I don't like lakes because of parasites. So, <laughs> like, it's just how it rolls. If I can't see the bottom, I'm not getting in. That's how this works. And so uh, a few weeks ago, some friends were like, hey, we're going water skiing. Do you want to go? And of course, because I love people, I'm like, of course, take me. I would love to go. They're like, have you ever water skied? Never. I would never do such a thing. Uh, I learned very quickly, again, I'm bad at water skiing. So they're like, you want to try it? I'm like, sure, it can't be that hard. Like, there's guys going, they're like jumping over the wake. I'm like, they're making it look really easy. I can do it. So I get in the water and like the rope, they're like, you just got to hold onto the rope and let the rope do the work. It's like, that sounds easy enough. So I lean back in the water and they didn't tell me that the boat like just takes off. So you have to have, you literally have to be like extremely fit to do this. And so like I do it and it almost ripped my hands off. I, I promise you, like I thought, we were going to be in the hospital, but I couldn't tell them that because I can't look like I don't know what I'm doing. So they're like, you want to do it again? I was like, yeah. And so I kept going. I literally couldn't feel my hands afterwards. Like, it was, like, horrible. And, like, it was, it was the worst experience of all time because I couldn't, I couldn't figure out how in the world to hold on. Like, do you, like, again, like, our life, if we try to hold on to whatever we're trying to hold, like, it will be like water skiing. Like, all of a sudden you're going to realize, wait, the job is gone. Like, I thought that was my anchor point. Like, no, like, wait, wait, the family, we're, we're fighting. Like, it will feel like water through your fingertips. You have to figure out what is your vine. Because I can promise you, a vine that you can trust is Jesus. Uh, it said, apart from him, you can do nothing. If your vine is anything but a relationship with Jesus, apart from him, you can do nothing. And you will attach yourself to something. By our human nature, we will search for something to attach ourselves to. The question is, uh, can you trust the vine that you are holding on to? Life is too fickle to not have a vine that you can actually anchor yourself to. I love how it says, what would it gain a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? What does it gain a man to have the whole world but lose his soul? And one of the things I always pray for my kids is I want them to be wildly successful. Like that's what, like I just do. I just pray it and I'm shameless about it. Like right now my son is five years old and I promise you he is running a mattress company. I don't know why he picked mattresses, but like it's a mattress company. He, he, my son will sift through a U-line catalog, like the big catalog right now, like at night in his bed at five, he picks out the things he needs to order for his mattress factory, okay? It's real and we are deep into this thing at this point. So I pray. I'm like, God, I want you to make Wes wildly successful. Like, I want him to be able to run companies. I want him to have influence like that. I want him to be uh, extremely wealthy so that I can retire. Like, all that stuff. Like, I want it all. Uh, but at the end of it, I pray. I'm like, God, but make him good for nothing but preaching Jesus. Because for me, like, I'm banking on this vine being what he says he is. And for me, my kids can have the entire world. But if they lose their soul, I've lost. So for me and for you, my prayer, my prayer is that, yeah, you are wildly successful, but I pray that you are good for nothing except preaching Jesus. Because at the end of the day, it's the only vine worth holding on to. Because here's what's interesting, is that he is well acquainted with your pain. Like Jesus is actually well acquainted with your pain. Jesus is the same guy who walked into a guy named Jairus' house and watched Jairus' daughter die right in front of him. He understands that pain. 
Jesus is the same guy who walked up to his best friend's tomb. His name was Lazarus. If you read about it in John 11, Lazarus was one of Jesus' closest friends. He's there at his funeral and sees the pain in the family's face. He, he understands our pain. Furthermore, at the end of Jesus' life, his closest friends, his 12 disciples, every single one of them deserted him. In his greatest moment of need, Jesus lost everything. Early on in his ministry, his own family, when people would say, what's up with this Jesus guy? They'd be like, he's completely lost his mind. Jesus understands what it's like to be estranged from your family. He understands what it's like to be rejected. He understands what it's like to be beat. He understands what it's like to be hated. He is a Savior who is well acquainted with your pain. And that is the Savior that today in this moment, he's inviting you in to a life that is worth living. He's inviting you into a rhythm that says, no matter what season you are going through right now, I'm going to be here with you through it. He is the better vine. He's well acquainted with our pain. The third reality, and the worship team can start coming out. The third reality is that our job is to remain. Our job is to remain. In some uh, translations of the Bible, it says, abide in me, I'll abide in you. Uh, Abide's a little too flowery for me. I like how the NIV says it. Like, remain. I love that. Remain. Because there's going to be times where it feels like all you can do is give up. But Jesus is literally saying, you have to remain in me. You cannot give up. They say, like, research shows that over the past couple decades, mental illness and suicide rates have skyrocketed. I'm not really sure why that is. But all I know is that no matter how hard it gets, you cannot allow yourself to become a statistic. We cannot be a community that gives up. We cannot be a community that shrinks back. Our job is to remain. Remain in me and I'll remain in you. Now, again, it's easy to remain when the season is right. When everything's going great, it's pretty easy. But character is built in the winter. Character is built in the winter when everything is stripped away and you can still say yes. That's where stories are made. That's where testimonies are made. That's where character is built. That's where fruit is developed. When everything is stripped away and you still say yes. I find it so interesting that it says in this passage that there's going to be things that aren't producing fruit. Jesus is going to cut it away. Like God will cut it. The gardener is going to cut it. He also says the things that are being produced, he's going to prune. You can't get out of this thing without something cutting out. No matter what happens, there's going to be pruning. You might feel overlooked today. Saying to yourself, I feel overlooked. I keep failing at relationships. Is it always going to be this way? Why why can I never close the deal? Why can I never land the job? Like, why, why does it have to feel so painful? You have to learn to remain. The default response is going to be to look around at everybody else's life. And you'll take their highlight reels as your reality. You think, how could they have it so good? You don't understand the pain they might be going through. How could they have it so easy? You might not understand the pain that they are going through. The goal is to remain. This is why it says that he is the potter, you are the clay. He's going to form you and shape you how he pleases. You just have to stay in the center of the wheel. I just love the fact that he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Church, it's okay to not be okay. What's not okay 
is painting the smile on. Just paint it on. Get your family together on a Sunday morning. Guys, we're going to church today. Smile. I know I screamed at you last night, but we're going to church today. I know you listen to mom and dad argue all the time, but we're going to church today. Like, so smile. Let's get ready. It's like I always say, I always talk about this. It's like you, uh, like summer will come and you haven't done any working out all winter and you know, it's just, guys, it's not going to be good. It's dad bod to the max and it's like, it's bad. But you like suck in when you get out of the car at the beach or I don't know if you go to beaches in Rochester, but if you do, you go to the pool, you like suck in because no one can see. You've done nothing. You've done a push-up in a year. It's like, it shows, you can't hide it, but you think you can. So you kind of suck in. You're like, here we go. I just got to hold my breath for six hours and we'll be good. And the thing is we do this. Every Sunday when we come to church, we suck in. I don't have it together, but I'm gonna make it look like I do. Here we go. Don't say a word. I don't want to. I don't want any triggers today. Let's just get through this. And you get you 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 like white knuckle your way through church. No one asks you any questions. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I promise you, I'm good. And like and we get through. It's okay. It's not be okay. You know the tension. On, a, on, a, uh, on, on your uh, water skiing rope between you and Jesus, it's your community. The, the thing that's going to keep you holding on is the people you surround yourself with. Like you think you're faking everybody out, but you're really not. You're not. You just need a group of people around you who are going to be honest with you. That's why small groups are so important. Because when you want to give up, you need people around you who aren't going to. And again, Jesus understood this. This is why he was so like thrown off when he got back after praying before he was going to go to the cross and his friends are sleeping. He's like, can't you just tarry with me? Can't you just stay up with me for one hour? I just need you for one hour. If you do not have community, where are you going to go? You'll have no choice but to let go because it's, I, you just, you cannot carry the burden on your own. It's, it, it, for me, it's why like the idea that God's not going to give you more than you can handle is actually a myth. I actually think that God allows things to happen because he needs us to rely on the vine. He actually, if you could, if you could carry everything that was going to be thrown at you in this life on your own, why would we even need a savior? The, the reality is the weight of this life is far too heavy for you and I to bear. The weight of your season, it's actually far too heavy for you to do in isolation. The weight of your marriage not succeeding is far too heavy for you to try to deal with alone in your room. Like it literally can not happen. It is too much for you to handle. That's why you need Jesus. It is too much for you to handle. That's why you need community. The only thing that is going to help you survive this season that you might find yourself in today is a relationship with Jesus. The only thing that's going to sustain that is a community. That's it. Let us be a church that lives gloriously lopsided lives, that even when it's tough, we still, we still show up to our small groups. Even when it's tough, we still hold on to the saving grace of Jesus. Let it be said of us that we love to live gloriously lopsided lives. Church, let's pray together, and then we're going to sing a song. God, we thank you that you are for us. God, we thank you that before the creation of the world, you chose us. You actually, before time and space began, God, you said that 2020 would be a great time for this group of people to be in the room together. We are grateful for that. And God, right now, I pray for each and every individual who finds themselves in all different walks of life, that right now you would meet them where they are at, that you would remind them that you are a good gardener, you would remind them that their soul can still find peace in the midst of chaos. You would remind them that Jesus is the better vine. 
And God, that you would help us to remain, that you would help us to remain. Church, it says uh, in, in Psalms, David wrote this Psalm. I don't wanna forget this part because I think it's like, it's too important. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what he doesn't say is even though I stay in the valley of the shadow of death, even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what that means is that you're still moving forward. See, Paul, when he wrote, he said, I'll run the race marked out for me. It's easy to run, Paul, when everything's going well, but I feel like I'm destroyed on the inside. Like you need to keep walking. So church, we need to remind our souls we can keep moving forward. You need to remind your spouse that we can keep going. You need to remind your kids like we're going to get through this. It might feel like white knuckling at times, but God is going to see us through. Church, let's stand together and sing this song. author and finisher of our faith and that doesn't deny our reality but it means the foundation of reality God has already figured out he's already declared victory over it he's declared us victors over it and so wherever you are today 
I want to challenge you to, to continue to walk through that valley. Whether it's climbing the mountain, walking through the valley, we're not blind to our realities, but we're not fearful of them because we know the God we serve is with us in every step that we take. And so we're going to get ready to finish up service. And if you find yourself in need of prayer, we've got prayer teams at the side of our auditorium that would love to pray with you. But each of us have a next step, whether it's going for prayer or joining a group, because that's the thing that helps us to hold on and keep the tension like Josh mentioned in his message. So I want to challenge you to take whatever your next step is in this moment. Don't hold back because God wants to walk through whatever season this is with you. And we'd love to hold your hand as well. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll dismiss. God, we thank you that you're the beginner, that you're the finisher. We thank you that you know our tomorrow and you've been in our past and you're not scared by any of it. We thank you that when you look at us, we are your beloved with whom you are well pleased. So we remove the identity of feeling like orphans and remind ourselves that we are adopted into your family, that we are the crown jewels of your creation. God, we put on that identity and we rejoice in your goodness and your mercy and your sovereignty. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you give each of us courage to take whatever next step is, is for us. So, Lord, that we would not stand or camp in our valley, but we would walk through it. Every season has an end. So, God, we thank you that you're a loving Father. It's in your mighty name. And the church says, amen. We love you, church. We will see you next weekend. Reminder, there are prayer teams on the side of the auditorium that would love to pray with you.